This is Tim Barry from Avail. You're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode, a brand new guest, and a brand new guest host, Josh Brigham of Hopesfall. Josh. I'm happy to be here, Keith. Although I, I feel like you're overstating the brand new because we did this once for Furnace Fest, man. Yeah, you know what? You're not a brand new guest co-host. I should say returning guest co-host josh brigham yeah thank you i appreciate that because i just wanted everybody to know that i've already done this once before and i had a great time and i'm excited that you invited me back to do this especially considering who your brand new actual guest is yes folks this is a big one we have adam mcgrath of caven now this is exciting i have been waiting to talk to someone from caven since i started this show and it has happened the interview is coming up it is Wonderful. We cover it all. We cover the new album, Heavy Pendulum. We cover Caven's history. We cover their transition and sound that rocked the scene back in the day. We cover it all. Yeah, I'm thrilled to get to talk about Caven, man. This is one of my favorite freaking bands. So great, stoked to hear what they have to say about everything. Yes. Yeah, so strap in, folks. It's going to be exciting. Now, folks, listen, you can support the scene the new scene in the following ways. Number one, reviews, Apple podcast reviews and Spotify reviews. They are rolling in. We are getting closer to a hundred folks. Once we get over 100, I promise not to ask for reviews for like a week at least. So that's something to look forward to. We're up to 71 reviews on Apple podcasts and 66 on Spotify. Keep those reviews coming in. Give us a five-star review, write a nice review, and I'll read it on the air like I'm going to do right now. We have a new review from Minecraft Person Player. Maybe, Josh, maybe they meant Minecraft Person Player? I'm not sure. Maybe they did, but maybe they have a Minecraft. I don't know. It sounds rad either way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here here it is. A new five-star review from Minecraft Person Player. Honest and sincere. Just listened to the Brian McTernan episode, and it was a real conversation. What a story and what a human. Thanks for documenting the prolific works of all the guests and sharing who they are as creators. Thank you so much, Minecraft Person Player, for that review. That is exactly my goal, to speak to the artists I love, to celebrate their work, and to discover who they are as people. And I will continue to do that for as long as I'm physically able. Okay, so follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, New Scene Pod. Follow us on YouTube and subscribe. We've got a main channel and a new Clips channel. The main channel has full episodes. The Clips channel has highlights from some of our favorite episodes. I'm on Twitch at The New Scene. I stream Warzone. We talk about the show. We talk about whatever. So give that a follow and turn on notifications so you get notified when I go live. And last but not least, we have a shirt. The Long Sleeve Life is Music is Life shirt is available for purchase. And your purchase of that shirt helps directly fund the show. So check all that out. And don't forget to support our sponsor, 
iodine recordings. There's always a lot going on at iodine, and it's always very exciting. Hey Thanks has a new single out. I'm sure it's on the way. Go check that out. That record's coming out soon. Can't wait to hear it. Pre-orders are up for Attempt Survivors, the Educated Hips EP. So go pre-order it. This is a band featuring members of Seisha, Helmet, and Six Going On Seven. I love the single that I've heard so far. Go check all that out and more at iodinerecords.com. Okay, so let's jump into some music news. Now, Josh, I don't know about you, but I am super, super excited that Sunny Day Real Estate is touring again. I'm super excited they are as well. Dude, I was just listening to The Rising Tide the other day, and then that news dropped. Um, What I think is super awesome is that they're taking Appleseed Cast out with them. Yes. You know, I haven't really heard Appleseed Cast in depth. So this is a perfect time to do that. Oh man, you got to you got to go and listen. They've got so many good albums over the last like, I don't know, 25 years. Gosh, I feel like Hope's Fall played with them in the 90s. Really? Yes, literally. Like they've been around for freaking ever. What's a good album to start with? Low Level Owl. All right, I'm going to do it. Definitely got to give that a listen, man. But I just saw I just saw Appleseed cast uh, opening for Cursive here in Charlotte, North Carolina, not too long ago, and they just put on just a lovely show. Like it was just nice atmosphere, just real chill. Nod your head, it was great. I think it's going to be a perfect opener for a sunny day. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I think I'm going to go see the show in New York, even though it's like five days after Furnace Fest where I will also see Sunny Day Real Estate because I love them that much. Josh, are you going to go to Furnace Fest again this year? Yeah, I think I'm going to go down there. Yeah, we're not playing this year, but I'm definitely going to make the trip down and just go watch bands because they've got, I don't know, it's like how they, this lineup is just as good as the last one. It really is. Like they're, they're, they're incredible at putting on this thing. It's unlike anything else I've seen. I love it and I will be there as well. So this is exciting. Heck yeah. We should get a room or something, seriously. I already have a room booked, and we're going to talk about that, Josh. We're, we should get like a chain of rooms going. We could have like a whole bunch of people, and it could be crazy. Yeah. You, dude, you've got to do – like you should do a podcast. I'm not telling you how to do your job. You you do whatever you want. Don't let me be that much of a bad influence. But like you got to do one from there, it seems like. No, that's right. You had this idea. I'm thinking like – live stream podcast from the hotel room. Um, we have you there. We have me there. We could have Vadim come in. It could be crazy. Oh, we could have a whole bunch of people there. That would be easy to arrange. This is a great idea, Josh. This is why it's great to workshop with other people like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be included. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this segment. Check back in with us at segment three. We'll talk about how we're doing and I will press Josh for Hope's Fall News to see what's going on with the band. But right now, we are going to speak to Adam McGrath of Caven. Enjoy.
All right, folks, we are here now with Adam McGrath. Adam, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here, Adam. You know, you have such a rich musical history with everything you've done with Caven, with Caven's upcoming album, Heavy Pendulum. There's a lot to talk about. But first, I need to ask you a very important question. Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, today I'm doing okay. I haven't done much. It's my day off from the tattoo shop. Um, I've been playing Kendama. I watched some of the wrestling that I missed uh, last week, but it's been a nice day. A nice day off, to be honest. That sounds good. Are you, Do you tattoo? I do not tattoo. No, I just work at the shop. I kind of manage and clean up after those guys and uh, watch them you know, create art every day. It's a, it's a cool job. What did you say you were playing but on the day off? I play Kendama. What is that? Um, Kendama is an, it's an old Japanese skill toy. It's like a cup and ball, like three cups and a ball and a spike. Um, all three cut. It's kind of like a hand-eye coordination thing. I got into it via one of the tattoo artists I work with, Andy Reach. He started getting into it during the pandemic and he brought it into work one day and I'm totally hooked now. I'm about a year in and it's, it's really hard, but it teaches your body how to move in all sorts of different and graceful ways that you may not be used to. Um, especially for a person like me, I was very uptight and herky jerky but um this is really a nice way to um a stay off my phone which i'm trying to do in this burning world because it's you know it's not fun to be on your phone all the time it kind of hurts your brain uh but it's a nice way to check out of life but you don't feel like you're you you know it's I'm, it doesn't mean anything kendama doesn't mean anything but it really is it's a fun way to just like burn your time away and uh, become skillful at some strange little toy um you know and i'm 43 and i picked this up so it's it's a trip playing a toy in front of adults. They think you're crazy, but it's not easy. You know, it's not easy at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have to see this. And I love the idea of having something to occupy your time that isn't a phone. I'm on the phone constantly managing various social media accounts and all this stuff. And, you know, sometimes people will be like, well, you re you replied so fast. And I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, because I'm just always on it. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, social media, it's, it's a yin and yang, you know, it's, it's brought so many people together and you get exposed to so many different things, but too much exposure and too much of anything is bad. And especially after the crazy couple of years we've had, I just needed to find a way to like uh, put my time towards something that wasn't music. Um, was betting, wasn't ripping my ears apart. Um, and wasn't, you know, on my phone. Um, and like, it was just, it's just, it feels like a way that I'm exercising my mind. I've really, and also it's funny, my wife sent me a video of when I first picked it up, which was last June and we were camping and I brought it and I was like, Oh my God, I'm playing with this toy. I can't believe this. And I look so hurt. I, like I said, it's like, I don't know how I look so stiff and it's just bound. It's, I can't do anything with it yet. And now, I mean, I'm not an expert by any means, but I can certainly spike it at will if I want to. And just things that I never thought I could do. And, um, you know, this is all Kandama language. It's all, like I said, it doesn't mean anything. You'll, you'll do something that you never thought you'd do in your life. And you'll be standing there by yourself in the room, just like, Oh my God. And then no one's around. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's been really good for me, but it's, it's really taught me to move in all sorts of different ways. And it's even helped my guitar playing, to be honest. It, it, it's, it's, it's applied in all sorts of different ways of life. It's really teaches you how to move in different ways. I don't know how else to explain it. You know, it teaches you how to move in more graceful, balanced, slower, graceful, more precise ways. It sounds like there is so much to this Kandama thing. It's not just a toy. It's it's really helped you in all ways of your life. And I was going to ask if it helped you with guitar playing as well, which it sounds like it does. So is there experts out there? I mean, like, do you track your movement and see improvements and all of this stuff? Um, there's certainly experts in with Kandama. I mean, if you look it up on Instagram, you'll you'll be you'll see it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy what people can do with it. And I'm so 
I'm so I'm I'm very much a beginner right now, but um, you know, the sky's the limit with that toy. Really, it's crazy what what kids can do with it, and it's also um, you know, from all the people that I've met, it's it's such a weird little scene. You know, it, it reminds me of the kids growing up who were into Primus back in the suburbs. You know, this weird little scene <laughs> of like they knew something that we didn't know. You know, it was this kind of weird little freak, little hippie weird scene where everyone's having a good time and everyone's cool to each other. Um, so you know, I've, I've, it's weird, and I, I've met all these people on the internet that are like Caven fans that play Kendama, and I would. I would love to make a cave in Kendama someday. I don't know how, how I can make it happen, but I would love to make that happen. <laughs> I love the sound of this. I have to look this up. It reminds me of, you know, this is this is way different, but over pandemic, I got into Call of Duty Warzone. Okay. You know, big online battle royale, people versus people. But it has taught me so much, and it has taught me to manage myself in crisis situations. You know, if I'm playing a game with people and they're cursing at me or saying, very rude things to me. I used to just freeze and shut down. But now in real time, I can curse back at them <laughs> and yell at them and not just freeze up. And you know, when it's down to me and one other person, I can sometimes come through and win. It's 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 really a philosophical and a physical thing if you think about it. It is. And it's, it's funny the things you pick up in life. And it's kind of a kind of a upon what you're kind of based upon what you're saying, even applying that to Kandama. Um, you know, I work at a tattoo shop, like I said yesterday, and I, I think Mer- Mercury is in retrograde right now, whether you believe in those things or not. But it seemed crazy in front of the shop yesterday, all sorts of traffic altercations and people fighting and people were screaming at each other. I was hanging out with that guy, Andy, who got me into Kendama and we were hanging out and people were screaming at each other. There was a car accident. And I, I told them, like, Andy, in this world of chaos, I'm going to try to try to keep my mind peaceful and land Kendama tricks right now where all these people are screaming at each other. So these people are screaming <laughs> at each other and I'm trying to land a lighthouse and trying to land all these cup tricks and trying to keep my mind at ease because I feel like the world is going in a crazy place and I need to find a way to stay calm. And Kendama's helped me find that path. <laughs> I love that. I love that. What other changes did you experience during the pandemic? My whole life changed. I, you know, you're outside less, so I wasn't walking around listening to music like I used to. I got deep into YouTube. I got deep into Twitch. Uh, this podcast, well, this podcast started just before pandemic, but it kind of became a full-time focus. What adjustments did you find yourself making and how did you cope? Um, I, I think the first thing I, I started exercising way more, which was, you know, good for my heart and mind, just cause I, you know, I, I have a lot of energy anyway, but you know, stop stopping completely like that. I knew I would go crazy. So I had to figure out a way to move, you know? Um, so I got really into, I mean, I, I run every other day and I do yoga now I've done yoga almost every day for two years and that's definitely the pandemic. And that's all the internet. Like, you know, like you said, YouTube and the internet, I, that's, I got, I do, I've done hours and hours of yoga via the internet for free. And it's really simple to do. And there's a lot of great resources on there if you want to get into it. And I got, you know, I feel like I whipped my ass into shape doing that stuff. Um, it's been really good for me. You know, it's all, I've tried to get out every day now, which that's that's certainly pandemic life. Getting, I just try to get out every morning to go for a walk or a run. I just, I, that's from like pandemic life of being inside every day. I, I knew I had to get out or I'd lose my mind. You know, YouTube, I got into YouTubers, which it's been interesting to watch them, the, their gradual um, rise and sometimes fall, you know, during this these past couple of years. I got really into uh, location YouTubers, YouTubers that went to like movie places where movies were filmed or places where, you know, crazy things happened or fucked up American events or places where um, crazy indigenous ruins around uh, in the middle of nowhere that people would hike out to in Utah, Utah with almost like alien-like paintings. They're painted on these mountains that, you know, people have never seen. I've got into stuff like that. Uh, people, van lifers, 
watching YouTube, this dude named Forcey Forrest, which I watched, you know, I just watched an episode before this podcast. He's a kid who, you know, he certainly takes some risks and lives in a van and goes crazy hikes and crazy mountains and crazy adventures. And I feel like, you know, got into that via, again, just sitting inside watching these people live these adventures. Yeah, it's weird. Like I never watched all of this stuff pre-pandemic and it's it's just strange to think that it's become my almost my sole source of entertainment. I barely watch actual movies and TV anymore. Yeah, you know, same for me. I mean, I watch a lot of pro wrestling and I just got back into basketball, but um YouTubers and I also feel like it's a low attention span thing. You know, yeah. it's you know, you don't have to sit there for an hour. It's like usually at least the ones I watch, they're 10 to 20 minutes and Exactly. You know, the ones who put thing content out every day, I can't really keep up with. But if you're once a week, I, you know, I, I usually try to catch up with it, you know. Exactly. Same here. You ever watch Scott on tape? I have watched Scott on tape. Yes. Um, he does a lot of locations, kind of the stuff we're t- I was just talking about. Yeah. I love the location stuff. They'll do serial killer uh, locations. They'll do movie filming locations. I love all that stuff. Yeah. I, Scott on tape is good. Um, I love Jordan. The lion has done a lot of cor- cool stuff. Jordan, the lion did a Dennis Wilson one that just blew my mind just because I'm a big Dennis Wilson fan. And I felt like he did all these cool Dennis Wilson locations like Pacific ocean blue where that was recorded, but it's, you know, it's not there anymore. It's just this condo building, but he went to the block, just, you know, stupid stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know why I love that stuff. I love checking that stuff out on my own if I can. You know what I mean? I, I could if you came to Massachusetts and came to Martha's Vineyard, I could show you every place where Jaws was filmed. You know, just because I, I enjoy that. Oh, stuff. really? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about you, Adam. Now, there's a lot to cover. You have such a rich musical history. Let's talk a little bit about the scene you came up in. Now, I've had other folks on that have spoke about the Red Barn and <laughs> just just the crazy amount of bands that had come from the area, Cave-In, Piebald, Jesuit, Converge, everybody. Where did you fit into all this? How did you discover it? Oh, man. Now, you know, it's funny, you know, because we've been doing so many Cave-In interviews lately. I've kind of, I've kind of picked my mind a lot about this. And it was, you know, there was, in the suburbs, there was, you know, local VFW shows going on around, you know, 93, 94, like that whole grunge era, right during that prime. And that mean, you know, in the Caven guys, we're all ripe for that age of that music. And we were all loving that stuff. Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins, you know, Nirvana, of, of course. And there was all these local shows going on where the, you know, the, the scene was very much based upon, you know, that kind of alternative MTV rock, like, you know, very bands sound like Nirvana, bands sounding like Pearl Jam, bands trying to sound like Nine Inch Nails, which is very haphazard for the suburbs. Uh, <laughs> but there was this place with a Red Barn where it's, it was different. You know what I mean? It was it was more hardcore and I, I don't know more hardcore and punk rock. Um, you know, more so bro- broken away from that alternative rock thing. And it was for me, it was pretty magnetic just because you know the music seemed more aggressive, more more emotional, and um, the performances were were much different. You know. Um, it wasn't so much rock and roll, but it was almost like a, emotional, you know? And um, the first band that really, that really was um, impactful for me and um, leading me towards a path was seeing Piebald really early on and then playing the material that was on their demo. I mean, I never seen anything like that. And they were, you know, they were rolling around on their guitars, very emotional, throwing mic stands, you know, it was uh, very dramatic looking back upon it. But at the time I loved it and, you know, Converge, um, I heard I, I got this compilation called the Endless Fight compilation, and I heard this song "Converge Divinity," which I never heard anything like it, you know. And uh, I look at the address, and I couldn't believe it. They were from across the river, Andover, you know. I just was like, "Oh my God!" There's this ba- this band, this music that I've I've never heard anything like this music, and they're so close by, 
and it was just crazy to me, you know, but, but they were at the time they had kind of fizzled out. They had played a last show for, and they kind of had, I think Jeff had gone to college. So they were disbanded for a small period of time, but seeing piebald was kind of like, man, I really want to be a part of the scene and get, you know, get into this, you know, more punk rock, hardcore thing. It seemed like more of the music was saying something. It seemed like it was coming more from an emotional place and uh, I, I, like a different emotional place that I identified with. And, um, you know, it's very m- much more, um, I, I, I don't know, I, I guess high art for the suburbs. I don't know how else to say it. Like there was much more art, an artful form going on than what was going on at the other shows that I had previously attended. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it because my only experience with music before discovering that world was going to the first Family Values tour, which was Corn and Ice Cube and Limp Bizkit and all this stuff. And I liked that stuff at the time, but that was at a stadium, right? You know, that was at a stadium size venue. Shortly after that, I discover that my friends are playing this music and putting on these shows. And I'm like, these are my friends. They're doing it. Like, I could do it. And this, there's something really exciting going on here. For sure. And yeah, they, yeah, I want, there's something exciting and you want to be a part of it. You know, that, that was me. And I, was, I got some ragtag bands going, but I really had not a lot of experience. And I, I really didn't know how to write songs. I knew kind of, you know, I knew how to kind of haphazardly play guitar, but I had no experience. And I would just kind of play with, whomever I could. There were some local bands from this band called Alert that I really loved at the time. Um, I'm trying to think of other bands that were going on that like were playing back then, you know, just local bands. I mean, I remember Kurt had a band called 7% Solution that played off and on that to this day, I, in my mind, I don't, I don't have like, I don't have any 7% records, but in my mind, I rip off riffs that I heard when I was a kid that I have no idea. If, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't even know if these riffs are the real riffs, but in my mind they are. And those are the riffs that inspire me still to this day. These 7% solution riffs. <laughs> wow. And I don't even have, a, I don't even have a recording of it. It's just when I saw it, when I was a kid, you know what I mean? But um, I, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Just trying to be a part of it and trying to find people, like-minded people. And, you know, Steve, again, Steve, like that alternative scene, Steve kind of had this band called Quinine and Bliss. And that was with JR, who's the drummer of Caven, and with this kid, this kid, Corey Wagner, who was a mutual friend and who got me into a lot of music as well. And they, you know, they covered a song by Fugazi. And that was my first intro to Fugazi. They had a Fugazi cassette and they covered, uh, they covered merchandise, which was wild. And I remember looking at the pictures of just that cassette. And I was like, oh my God, these are the shows that I want to be at where where did the, where were these shows happening with with this these pictures i want these are the shows i want to go to and um you know steve had much more of like a sub pop you know he tells the story he had like the sub pop um sub pop vibe like um he, he had literally had a shirt that said loser and i he thought he <laughs> thought i was like the hardcore pretentious straight edge prick who had the revelation records t-shirt you know what i mean <laughs> but that's how our mutant powers combine you know um but he you know we had mutual friends in jay Frechette who uh you know, he loved, he started getting into hardcore kind of, he kind of got more into the metallic, like, um, New York hardcore loved earth crisis. He loved path of resistance. He loved, um, oh God, war zone, like that kind of, st- that sort of thing. His cousin, Justin played bass for us. And we, they kind of had a thing going system three where they kind of started playing more hardcore when Steve's, you know, alternative band kind of fizzled out. They kind of formed this band called system three and they were kind of playing, you know, spastic, you know, towny hardcore scream blast. I, I you know, it was, I, I, I wish they were here to describe it, um, but I was really into it, you know, and it was, you know, Jay and Steve sc- sc- screaming and seeing kind of proto Caven, honestly. And then I, I joined the summer of God, I think the summer of 95. And, um, you know, I had no experience. I, I was very, very rough on guitar. Very, very rough. And I had, I, 
I thought I knew a lot, you know, like any kid does, but you know, uh, Steve was miles ahead of me as far as like sound and vision. But, you know, I, I also wanted to, you know, play in a band that played, you know, could get shows with Pieball and maybe someday play with Converge, you know, that was the goal, you know, and, um, and then watching Pieball kind of lay out this roadmap to like, they bought a van, they bought that um, school bus, which was wild to us at the time. And then they did a tour down to Florida, you know, and I tell the story all the time, but at the time it was crazy to us. Like, oh my God, they went to Florida and back, you know, played shows the whole way down. It was, you know, it was like, oh, now that's, that's going to be our goal now. Um, so, you know, we, we formed Caven and kind of got the ball rolling. It was, it was a pretty slow burn for a couple of years and lots of lineup changes. But by the time we got Caleb in the band, you know, when we were in college, that's when the, you know, that's when we really set sail. That's when, that's when we really got rolling. I discovered you right around the release of Until Your Heart Stops, a classic record, of course, but let's talk about that time a little bit. I'm always curious. Uh, as legend has it, uh, the orig- the singer at the time left two weeks before you were supposed to record the record. Is that correct? Uh, you know, I don't know if it's two weeks, but it was pretty soon before we recorded, for sure. Because um, there's definitely demos of Until Your Heart Stops uh, songs with Dave Scrod singing. I know there's definitely an Ebola, Ebola demo with Dave singing. What happened? I mean, that why leave so shortly before recording? Um, you know, I, I don't remember the details, and it's all water under the bridge to me at this point. Um, but you know, I, I don't think, I just think that, um, myself, JR and Steve were very much the same age and on the same page. And Dave was on a different path and a different direction and a different age. He was a little bit older than us. You know, I, I just think that, it, uh, the chemistry wasn't right at the time. And, you know, but I also got into some really good music via, you know, hanging out with Dave. Dave got me into, you know, my favorite black flag records. So, you know, it, it is what it is, you know, that's, that's life. Yeah, I mean, not everything works out perfectly all the time. Exactly. It just happens. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm sure we could have handled it better when we were kids as far as like, the, you know, as far as any of like the lineup changes that happened in Cave. And we could have, of course, handled it better as far as communication and the communication breakdowns. But that's how we've learned. That's that's being in a band since you were a kid. We figured out a lot. We were a lot better than we used to be. And when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you can't communicate. I I just learned how to communicate sort of okay. And I, I turned 40 this year. So, yeah, it's a, you know. it's it, you're a work in progress. So, you know, there's been mistakes made for sure, especially with past members. But yeah, Steve, Steve certainly took the reins. Were you guys freaking out or was Steve just ready? I mean, it sounds like you guys had a lot of experience. You were in Kid Kilowatt during Caven. And I mean, that already sounded really polished. So what adjustments had to be made? Uh, you know, it was just, it was kind of like all getting on the same page and getting a solid lineup. Like we did a, a tour with uh, Jay and Justin, but you know, obviously the chemistry didn't work. And I, I didn't think we could, we, we, we would roll along traveling together. It, it just didn't seem to work out. And that's eventually we had Travis from Piebald actually playing with us for a while when Scrod was in the band. And that was kind of a transitional period when Dave was singing and Travis was playing, which was a lot of fun. But then we we knew Travis had Piebalds. We had to get our solid bass player. So we met Caleb on the first Caven tour. Caleb uh, was in Strike 3, the band we toured with on the first Caven tour down to Florida. Like I said, that big goal of going to Florida and back, that was we finally achieved it. Um, mm-hmm. Our summer of our, the summer that we graduated high school, which was 97. And that's when we met Caleb. We kind of figured out that he was a good bass player. He traveled well with us. That was another cool, you know, you don't think about these things then, but back then, like, oh, he was pretty easy to hang out with. That He seems like a cool guy. Things you don't, you take for granted when you're younger. Now it's like, you, it's so hard to find someone to roll and travel with. And, um, you know, you never know what you're going to get when you have, when you travel with people you never travel with. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, so with Caleb, we can feel it right away. And uh, we asked him to be in the band. And then with Scrod, like I said, it just didn't really work out. Steve had been singing, you know, half the stuff in cave in anyway 
I don't think he knew at the time how much he was taking on. I don't think we did either. You know, it was certainly overwhelming. And, um, you know, we had the recording time and we, you know, recorded with Kurt in the old piebald house in uh, Alston in the basement. And, you know, it's funny because we just relearned that record in December and, you know, we had to listen to it. And it, that record is so, it, you know, and I say this with all my love and heart, but it's such a mess. You know, it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> it's like, uh, as far as the, the songwriting is insane, I, it makes it, it's, it, I don't, I don't understand what we were thinking sometimes. I love how the time signatures speed up, slow down and speed up again. <laughs> It's like really like crazy. It, uh, it's funny when you you don't even notice it until you have to go back and relearn it. It's like holy shit, this is a, this is a mess. It's funny to hear you describe it like that because it's it's so iconic to me and many others. It's almost uh, the starting point for the band with this lineup, and 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 to hear you describe it this way, it's, it's just funny to hear your perspective. But I you know I really appreciate it, and especially relearning it. I mean, I, wow, we were going for it. You know, like we were, we were kids, just try, like I said, like trying to be a part of that scene, converge, trying to be, in, trying to get in the, trying to get in our, our foot in the door of that scene, and want wanted to be a part of it. And um, you know, Steve wrote some amazing songs. Uh, you know, I could contribute my spots where I can, and we you know we came up with until your heart stops and. It's, you know, listening, like I said, we, I just relearned it and it's, it was funny, a lot of towny hardcore. That's what I felt about it. Like, this is like some suburban riffs, man. But some of that stuff, like Ebola, Innovar Opus and Noose, um, the, uh, Halo of Flies, those songs are really still fun to play. You know, they really are. Yeah. And the thing I like about it, it's like, it's the metalcore thing that was going on at the time, but you have the spacier and more interesting elements. And there's, there's almost like an arena rock element too, with these big rock and roll riffs. And, you know, not a lot of people were doing that at the time. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, it's funny, I, I guess not, you know what I mean? <laughs> to me, when I look back on it, like, oh, we were trying to rip off Entombed, Wolverine Blues, you know, it, <laughs> and like I said, this is all just because we relearned it and going through the parts. I'm like, oh, we were trying to do, this is a Rorschach part. And this is a part where we're trying to rip off Bloodlet or something, or this is the part where we're trying to rip off Converge, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's it's funny to go back to it all. Yeah, it's it's so interesting what different bands do with different influences. Like when I'm at band practice, I'll play a song and I'll be like, let's do something like this. And what we come up with sounds completely different, but you can still hear the influence, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. And especially sometimes when people say the influence, like, oh, yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah, I mean, Sacred Hearts, it was a fun time of our lives. You know, that was the first time we ever toured, you know, the United States. The first time I ever saw the West Coast was touring on Until Your Heart Stops. We bought this crazy Winnebago van from the Harpoon Brewery in Boston, which was insane. And it's stupid to think how, what a dumb kid decision it was. This 1979 Winnebago that we took around the country and it made it once around the country. And then it like imploded when we got home. Um, but, you know, touring with this band, Iyer from Canada, who were amazing, um, that was uh, that Jeff Feinberg from Converge is band the band he kind of formed when he was in college. Um, I don't know if he formed it, but he was in that band. It was a really amazing time, you know, really innocent times and playing some crazy shows. And like I said, seeing California for the first time. That's what I think about at that period of my life, seeing the traveling and seeing places for the first time. And it really was a uh, really realizing this band was a vehicle, you know, and having and being like really being stoked about that. Um, and but very innocent times, you know. Yeah, it must have been fantastic for you because you you've now achieved your goal of going to Florida and back and you have this <laughs> you have this great record and you're touring the whole country on it. Yeah, it was it was wild, you know, like it, it was, you know, playing places in California and like, you know, reading the Heart Attack fanzine at the time and being in the, like that the, their turf and be, it was it meant a lot to us at the time, you know, it really did. Um being Seattle going to Seattle and seeing Bot seeing Botch play up there and Oh, you know, yeah. just uh, it was it was a really cool time. It was a really there was really cool stuff going on. Um, you know, especially 
a lot of heavy, great heavy bands. Like I said, Iyer was one of them. Botch, um, seeing Coalesce for the first time was crazy. That I that's the that's the time for me because that's when I discovered all this music. That's when I started going to shows. It was you guys, Converge, Coalesce, Dillinger, Escape Plan. I just put out the three song EP. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was that was a crazy. This time. is like my starting point. Yeah, and then, you know that Dillinger, that thing that like changed the landscape. And I remember like so many. It was like almost like when Jimi Hendrix hit the scene. Everyone's like, "Holy shit, what what are we doing?" You know. <laughs> That's a great comparison. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh my God, what are we doing? I feel like fools, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, and who knows? It could be why we did Jupiter. You know, we talk about that now where we all our friends and around us were doing all this crazy metalcore stuff, crazy convergence doing stuff, doing your escape plan, botch. There was this crazy future future forward thinking, heavy, heavy music. And it, uh, ISIS, there was so much cool stuff going on. Um, and for us, I think we... You know, it's like almost like, well, we'll leave that stuff to them. And I think we should just find our find our place. You know what I mean? (laughs) When do those conversations happen and how do they happen? Because in my opinion, Caven, you're at the top of the heap for all bands at that time, as far as being innovators and experimenting with something different. I mean, you changed your sound going into creative eclipses and then blew everybody's mind with Jupiter. It's a big risk and it was a great risk. So when do those conversations happen? How how do you decide you're going to move on from until your heart stops? Uh, you know, uh, I think it was a few things. Um, I think being pigeonholed as a metalcore band and playing a lot of those metal festivals and, you know, being some of those scenes were not really our crowd, you know, just being on like, I, I, I'm not judging anything, but some of the, some of the metal festivals we played kind of were just really on our scene. And, um, you know the i think at the time just like this tough guy attitude we wanted to get away from um i like i said our peers just doing stuff it was just seemed like reaching the limits that i, I don't think that we as far as like doing metalcore would be in, in any sort of i don't i don't think we would compare i think we had to find what we were good at and i think we had some cool stuff I mean, you know you can hear it until your heart softs you can hear like the you can hear the what what we became in that music for sure especially re, like i said relearning it i'm like oh my god i could hear us what we became in this these songs um, but I also think Steve being the front man, um, it was a heavy load to take on and singing that, that stuff every night. I think he blew him out and, you know, he could always sing. He, he was, you know, singing and playing guitar out of all of us really early on, you know, again, cause of Kirk Cobain and things like that. He was, he was singing and playing guitar really early and like, oh, had, always had a really, you know, always was singing better than anyone I knew, you know what I mean? So him screaming, I think he, it was just seemed at the time, especially how, and he'll say this himself, you know, we were like 19, 20 years old. He didn't, we didn't know how to take care of ourselves. So it's like trying to be a front man singing in a metalcore band when you're 19, 20, it was rough. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you're not sleeping good and you're treating yourself like shit. Um, that's, you know, that's how he would look back, back upon that. Um, so I think it was like, well, I need to find things that I, if we're going to function, I need to find ways that make, that I could, you know, perform comfortably and know that I'm not going to blow myself out, you know, not to say it didn't happen. Um, right. Again, because we're, we're, we did this since we were kids. So, you know, we, you're learning along the way. Um, but it was just like, let's find something that's more in your wheelhouse and that even more in our wheelhouse of just doing some different stuff where we're not being pigeonholed, where we can just do some, play some different types of shows, play with some different bands, not always playing metal, metal core shows. 
Um, not that, uh, not that there was some crazy, not that we did some amazing stuff in that, those scenes, but it was, we, I think we just wanted to do some different stuff and not be pigeonholed. That makes sense. I've had conversations with a lot of bands from that time and there's some recurring themes. One is just getting sick of the violence. I know there was a lot of violence at the time at shows and, and a lot of that going on. And really with heavier bands, I think you you can only go so far, you know, like I, I've actually had this conversation about Caven. You have until your heart stops. Where do you go from there? It's like you got almost have to try something else. Yeah, it, it seemed much more easy. You know, it's it's almost like a thing where again, like as you get older, you have much more perspective. But I feel like it's like you know how the bridge between, and this is not the same by any means can, as far as success level. But you know, Metallica's Injustice for All that record's crazy, and then they do the Black Album afterwards. It, I, it makes sense to me now. I get it now. I understand as an adult looking at a music career why Metallica, why the Black Album sounds the way it does. You know, yeah, you do this crazy, crazy record. It's just like you don't have the brain for it. You don't have, you know, it's just like I, I can't saddle up for that again. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You got to find some ways to stretch your mind creatively and do something that's inspiring and move forward. You know and I think doing the failure cover was cool. You know, um, Steve doing burning down the bill- billboards again, that Steve was doing songs like that for years. So it, w- it was cool to like, you know, put it in the cave and realm. And then we had, I think, you know, luminance, which, you know, we still play to this day. That's a really fun song to play. Oh, that's, it's such a good one. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of opened the door to what we became and, um, uh, you know, no regrets. I, I like Caven's weird, weird path. I really do. And, uh, you know, I- we certainly got flack for it at the time and, you know, um, it's like, you know, taking arrows, you know, some of it stung, some of it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it may, you know, it's funny when you had that stuff happens to you when you're young though, like it, like it did for us when like, you know, when I was like nine, between 19, and like 22, you read a lot of crazy shit about you on the, on the internet. And when you're an adult, it's like, it's, it means nothing to you because <laughs> you know I mean? it's yeah. been happening to you half your life now. <laughs> Talk about that time a little bit. Some of the reaction from people, how did you handle it? How did you process it? And was there enough good things happening in conjunction to the criticism that it was, you know, that you were okay? For sure. I mean, it made us thick skinned, you know, and there were certainly people who came to our shows when we started playing a lot of that Jupiter stuff that were not happy at all, you know? And, um, you know, we certainly had periods where we completely abandoned that stuff and I could see why people were unhappy. Um, and, you know, people would yell at shit at us and, you know, people say stupid things about us, but, um, you know, I, it's funny to talk about it. I don't, it, it doesn't, it's, I don't care at all. It was it, looking back upon it. It was a, it is what it is. I mean, it opened up a lot of doors for us. You know, we played, we started playing shows with all sorts of different bands. We played a string of shows with Raina Maria, which was cool at the time. We played with Jets to Brazil. Um, it was just different stuff really opened up for us, you know, and it, it was cool. Um, and I also remember playing with Neurosis and, you know, this is when we were doing the Jupiter stuff. And I remember thinking like, Oh my God, we're like not doing until your heart stops stuff. And we're playing with neurosis and this, you know, we're playing, here we go play doing our new stuff, playing with this, you know, this monumental legendary, the Kings of heavy, heavy music, as far as, you know, I'm concerned. And we were, you know, again, we were so young and we showed up for these string of shows with them. I, you know, I was scared during sound check. I really was. I mean, I can't believe we we're still, look at these guys are so intimidating. And they, I mean, they look like, you know, bikers, you know, bikers from uh, like, I don't know, just, this just, just, it was so, such a vibe that I had not been around. And, uh, you know, here we are, these kids from Methuen, you know, here we are to open for neurosis, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, you know, they were so supportive and into what we were doing and into like, it, it was cool that the, you know, that I, I, it was cool that I knew that they got it and it, and, and it was it was really cool. Like our such a forward thinking metal band, like this was totally cool with what we were doing. And it felt like, um, 
I felt a firm, you know, affirmative like uh, affirmation at the time. Yeah, that that must be fantastic uh, to get that affirmation from neurosis of all people. That's uh, that's got to make you confident in what you're doing. I mean, it's neurosis for God's sake. For sure. And I was nervous. I was so nervous. You know, I was like, oh, you know, I remember playing. Um, God, what's this in the stream of commerce? Um, I'm like, you know, cause it, it, it's just like, okay, we're not doing it until your heart stops stuff. We're doing this, your, what I call space rock now it, it, these shows with like the, the heaviest band on earth, you know, playing times of grace. This is that period of that band. They're playing times of grace, but it was, it, it was cool. You know, their crowd was very open-minded and, you know, neurosis were, you know, they were really into it and supportive. Um, and it, like I said, it really set the tone for us to like, you know, I think we can do, if we're confident in doing what we're doing, we can do whatever we want. And, you know, like I said, Jupiter, it was weird. It brought all new people to the table. You know, it was a whole new, all this whole new scene of people kind of like accepted us or wanted us in to play their shows or like we were just exposed to all new scenes of people and things and talked to, started talking to different record labels. And, you know, it was a, it was a wild time. Um, and I think, I think it came out of nowhere. People were very surprised by it. And also like it, it like a, a whole new rash of new fans. Like I said, that didn't even know we were a metalcore band. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Is there still fans of you that didn't know you had a metal period? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's like fans that only know antenna, you know? Wow. So did you ever play a show in the a- antenna era and bust out the end of our rope as a noose or something? And, and everyone was really scared. We did. We did a couple of <laughs> times. Um, we started playing that stuff. We were in Lollapalooza and we started playing that stuff again, just because we were pretty much done with the major label situation. And it didn't, we pretty much knew it didn't work out. And we knew that it was our, our record was dead in the water and that the, like the singles went nowhere. And, so we were just like, well, fuck it. You know, let's just get back to playing and having fun and doing the things we want. We haven't played these songs in years. It'd be funny to play some of these songs at Lollapalooza. So we did. We started playing Moro Cliffs. We played Juggernaut and I think more, uh, Halo Flies. Did you hear from anybody like, uh, gentlemen, we can't have you playing these songs on this so, tour. So yeah, I was just going to tell you how um, we went on tour with Muse and that was kind of the last, I don't want to say the big thing we did. That was the last major label connection tour that we ever did was touring with Muse. And it was really cool. I mean, they're an amazing band. And, um, they were really on the up and up in the time, like the tour that we were on with them, they became like world famous. You know, we were, we were, and we were behind, we were playing venues at Radiohead were playing every night, the next night. It was wild. Whoa. And, um, you know, they were getting huge. Um, but we, we, we busted those songs out a few times and they told us to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, not them, but their tour manager did. Yeah. Um, but it was funny. It's funny playing more Eclipse in like, you know, an arena. <laughs> I mean, uh, I wish I could have seen that. Um, Wait, there's video. Isn't there videos of you guys on Lollapalooza playing those songs? Yes, there is. I'm I've sure. seen some of those. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Jesus, look at that crowd. Yeah. And people, you know, people don't really know what to do. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny, you know, and, and it's, it, I will say now, and especially after doing the whole Until Your Heart Stops record, you could tell now that our fans are older. When we play some of those songs, the pit doesn't open up as fast and crazy as it used to. You know, it's a very slow moving thing when we play those songs now. You know, it's we're all older now. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember back in the day, you would open with uh, Luminance and the pit would just instantly open up and be insane, even for Luminance. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I saw you in 2019 in New York City. And it was a great mix of songs, but you you played uh, Moral Eclipse, and the pit opened up. But it, you know, everybody's a little older now, so yeah. it wasn't quite as dangerous. And for sure, I mean that that is funny to watch because I, I think you know, especially we did the whole record, like oh my god, the people go crazy. Like no, they they don't. They're they're all just out. You know, they're all they have babysitters. They're out to see the metalcore record, and they're all going to go home. 
you know, I'm just lucky to still be doing this, you know, I'm 43 and I'm still, uh, yeah, what a time to be alive and still be doing caving. You know, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to still be talking about it. It's crazy to tell people I'm still doing it. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm still doing caving. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're, it, and we're very happy about that. I mean, the band has just, uh, it's one band. I know when a record's coming out, it's going to be great. It's an exciting time for the band, you know. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really stoked on Heavy Pendulum, and um, I, for all sorts of reasons, you know, Caven was so far away from me in the past few years. As far as like, I never know, I never thought we would do it again. Never mind at this level where we're at right now. And um, you know, I, like I said, I don't take anything for granted. You know, especially after um, Caleb passing away, I don't take any of this for granted. And I, I, I feel very lucky that I found my friends a long time ago. I feel very lucky that they joined our band. I feel very lucky that we're still doing this. You know. So absolutely myself and many people are glad you are. Let's talk about heavy pendulum. We've got a new cave in record coming folks, May 20th, 2022 via relapse records. There's four singles out now. We have to hear them. We want to hear them. I love everything I've heard so far. This is the first album the band has made together without any input from Caleb Schofield who passed a few years ago, sadly, tragically. So I mean, the process must have been bittersweet for everybody. Yeah, you know, you know there's some Caleb input on it for sure. Um, the riff and uh, the new reality riff, the the verse riff, that's a Caleb riff. Um, oh, I love that. Um, that it's from the, like the White Silence era that Steve just remembered, and it's funny he like showed it to me when we were like writing this stuff. He's like, "Do you remember that riff?" I'm like, "It does sound familiar." He's like, "Oh, we I we were playing it right before I moved to New York City ten years ago," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a Caleb riff." And so that's that's the verse riff of New Reality. That's Caleb. Uh, the lyrics for the song Amaranthine, which is on the new record, is uh, those are all Caleb lyrics from a note, you know, the notebooks that Jen has let us kind of sort through and make songs out of. I feel like we've exhausted those resources between Caven and Old Man Gloom at this point, but that's the last one um, as far as Caleb lyrics. And in the song Reckoning, I quote him in all allu- I say, uh, you know, it's all illusion, mind of lies. He wrote that, you know. Um, so he's on there and um, he'll always be with us no matter what we do. He will, you know. Yeah, it's it's great that this band exists as a vehicle that that he can still be alive through. Yeah, and it's also it's 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 a way to be connected to him as far as the, um, the four of us, and um, it's been, you know, we'll be dealing with the well, I'll, I'll be dealing with the grief for the rest of my life as far as you know, it it, it gets easier every day, but um, it's it's been healing for us for sure. Doing Caven like was a, a path to you know trying to get ourselves healed from this you know crazy situation. Yeah, I wanted to ask how you're doing and how the band is doing, because it was such a, a major loss. I mean, Caven single-handedly got me into this music. And I mean, I don't know any of you guys personally, but when I heard this news, I was affected. So, I mean, you guys must have, it just must have been really, really something to to work through. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, 2018 is the worst year of my life. And, you know, for that reason, um, you know, I, I, my life has changed a lot. You know, I, I had like this job in Northeastern that I, I used to manage events and, you know, that took up all my time. And I, uh, I had this illusion like, oh, I have this job with lots of money and this, this is why this is happiness. And this is what you're supposed to do, especially because music's not really happening. So you, you got to do these things because you live in America. And it's funny, as soon as Caleb passed away, I like went to work. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this anyway, anymore. And I gave my two week notice. <laughs> 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 I was just like, I, I was just like, I mean, there's no way in hell I can fuck, you know, and also I was so, I was in shock and complete, you know, I was completely shell shocked. So I was just like, I can't, I can't work six days a week from five in the morning till 10 at night. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I had to find ways to get my head on straight. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I found a really great therapist, you know, and also the exercise, you know, the exercise has been really good for me. Um, but you know, we've all dealt with it differently. Um, I think it's been, it's, it's, you know, it's fucked up all of us, of course, but, uh, you know, I think we're all, as your time, time heals everything, you know, as time goes on, it feels a little better. And, uh, you know, um, I don't, this every day goes by where I, I think, I think about them every day, of course. Um, but I, it's a lot easier and it's a lot more smiles and a lot more laughing and, you know, um, it's not as like, it doesn't make you sick as much as it used to, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing with grief is in the early stages, you know, you're laying in bed, sick to your stomach and you can't even get up or eat or function. And years later, there might be days where you don't think about it at all or that much. And then one day you get hit with it like a sledgehammer. It's just a, it's not a even plane. It's not, there's not a set path to, to dealing with these types of things. No, for sure. And you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways you can help yourself, you know, but, um, there is no, there is no way, there is no, you know, there's no prescription. There's no, it's not, everyone has their own path of trying to find their way out of this, you know, as far as like grief and, but, you know, like I said, the things we've done at cave have been really healing and, you know, I think good for all of us. And, um, and, you know, like again, even doing this record is fulfilling a vision that Caleb had, which was, you know, final transmission. We talked about, we, like, we got to get the band back to where we're doing music that really separates us from our peers, you know, the unique cave and sound and get, and get back into a studio because white silence, we had recorded ourselves in a, you know, a rehearsal space. So Caleb was like, I really don't want to do that again. I was on that page as well. Like, I don't want to, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do the, I really don't want to do a practice based record again. I think we should get, you know, we should get the band back in the studio, but obviously that never happened. And with final transmission, we really didn't want to do away with any of the, those were recordings that he played upon. So we really wanted to focus upon putting out music that he had played on. And that's, that's, that's all of it. But with this new record, I felt like we were, you know, fulfilling that vision, you know, getting our band in the best foot forward, trying to do the best music we can that separates us from our peers for better or for worse. And, uh, and get the band back in the studio. Um, and I think we, you know, I think we did it, you know, and I, I, it, it feels good to say that, you know, and it, there's, there's, there's songs, there's songs that we recorded that I, I felt like were, I couldn't believe they felt like great accomplishments um, after everything we've been through, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really psyched for the world to hear it. Um, but it, it, it's wild to be in this place. And I remember going, you know, recording takes and going into the control room and just listening back. And I told Kurt, I'm like, I haven't heard Caven sound like this in, you know, a long time, Kurt. This is wild. You know? <laughs> yeah, the the story is pretty incredible now that I'm hearing it. I mean, you know, we lost Caleb and Final Transmission is the last piece that Caleb was actually playing on. But but his story continues. You know, it's like his vision is being fulfilled with Heavy Pendulum. It's it's a pretty incredible story. And I, I love that you guys are still continuing on. For sure. And like I said, I think this band is, is a great vehicle to keep his memory alive. We still play songs that he wrote completely. I mean, we're playing in Texas next weekend and we're playing Serpents, which is that's a straight Caleb song, you know. And it's fun to when you play his songs, man, you really get in the zone of his mind and body. You know, you, you kind of have to move like him. You know, you have to kind of flow like him because they're his riffs. And, and for like I said, as, as time goes on, you can um, it's it doesn't it feels good to like check into those check into that vibe and check in with Kayla's spirit. Um, it's a good way to stay connected to him. And it's it's healing for us. And it will be as long as we do this. It's been very positive. Yeah. Thank goodness you have this band as a a means to uh, be together and work together and, and work through things together. For sure. And, you know, we, we re rebuilt it with Nate kind of joining up to do those benefit shows when Caleb passed. It was kind of a vehicle that we knew that we could do those benefit shows and raise money. 
so it's but it seemed foolish to stop you know it really did because um, we really got it we got the ball rolling again and i thought we it was fun you know it was fun to do and you know there was for certainly some for me there was certainly some survivor's guilt the first few shows we played you know and it yeah. was definitely kind of awkward not uh, awkward not not because nate isn't awesome just like oh my god we're doing this and and there's people here and they you know is there's a weird like oh shit should i be doing this but right uh, again thank god i go to therapy but uh because <laughs> it's yeah. just like you know it's not it's not that i shouldn't be it's just that i miss my friend you know that's exactly. all it is. you know that's all it is and it's normal feelings to have i've had the same thing with friends that have passed and it's just it's just part of it yeah and and it, that that's kind of gone away over time you know now I, I know that caleb would want us to go on i know he would want us to be doing this to like the level we can and the best we can and and you know, I, I think he'd be really proud of us right now, you know, and I, I think we really got the band at a really rolling at a really wild clip right now. And I can't believe, like I said, I, I can't believe I'm doing it at this level at this age, you know, and I don't take it for granted, you know, after everything that's happened for sure. Absolutely. And the, the band continues to be excellent. I'm surprised to hear, number one, I'm surprised to hear that White Silence was a practice space recorded album. And two, that has my favorite Caven song ever, Sing My Loves. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great song, and it's uh, we close our set. We've been closing our sets with it for years, and that's a beautiful song that Caleb wrote, kind of standing in front of us one night at band practice. And um, you know, it's definitely a different time in Caven. You know, uh, it wasn't certainly a focus in all of our lives. It was certainly the time where Jaron and, and Caleb started families, so it was a, it was a more of a back burner band at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, sometimes we'd have songs at practice. Sometimes we would literally show up at band practice, hang out, and chat the whole night or watch something on our phone or we would literally go to a bar or we would meet somewhere else and go to a park and like we were you know that's the thing like looking back like we were friends I mean, if we didn't play music we just hung out but uh the white silence era was very much a lot of that music sometimes hanging out others you know yeah. um, <laughs> and uh sing my you know sing my loves with the song he kind of wrote in front of us just having ideas and having ideas for lyrics and having ideas for the riffs and then like the end, it was Steve and I kind of trying to hash something out. And I remember we said like, tears for fears, tears for fears. And that's what, kind of what that, that la- I, that's I mean, that's what I think about it to this day. That last riff is tears for fears, you know, just yeah, during I- the, uh, <laughs> during the tears for fears riff, that, that baseline, that that's like probably my favorite baseline ever. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's pure Caleb and it's, oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love, I still love playing it and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful Caleb Schofield song. You know, lucky to still play it, and I'm sure we'll be playing it for years. You know that that bass style. I feel like Nate Nate in the new record. He's kind of taken what Caleb's done, um, just because he had to learn all those songs, and also taken like a Tony Bono into another approach. Um, and it's it's really I think he's really elevated us, and he's um, you know we're so blessed and lucky to have Nate fill in for Nate, uh, fill in for, I mean, f- join up with us after Caleb passed because, you know, who else will we get? Who else is going to fill in for Caleb Schofield? You know, um, Nate knew Caleb. So it seems to fit the best, you know, he, he knew Caleb, they were friends. He moved, he can move like Caleb. They were in a band together, you know, and we're, we're just lucky that Nate said yes, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Nate seems like a great fit. Is it, is it hard to manage schedules? I mean, Converge is huge. You guys are huge. You guys have a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, it's my schedule is fine because I'm in one band, but I, I watched Steve and Nate, <laughs> man, I watched Steve and Nate manage it and it looks pretty, it looks pretty rough, you know? Um, those guys are pretty tight in their schedules and they, you know, they do what they can, um, but they are in, yeah, they do a lot of, they do a lot of music together, um, you know, but I, it's all about their calendars um, and scheduling. I mean, I, it's funny. I don't even know half the stuff is going on. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a Blood Moon tour. 
And then I said, like, oh yeah, Nate, Nate, you're going on tour with Meshuggah. You know what I mean? I just know the Caven stuff. Don't the Caven stuff's just on my mind. I don't think about anything else. And I see their tours like on Instagram, like, oh wow. <laughs> Talk about Antenna. Talk about that era. I mean, there was a lot of hype around Caven. There was uh, exciting things happening. The album itself is classic. Talk about your experience on RCA. Well, it, that whole that whole period of our lives was pretty wild, you know. Um, you know, talking all sorts of different labels and going going to the Capitol building to the roof and to, you know going to the different record labels offices and taking all the free CDs and like oh you want all the Smashing Pumpkins records and here here's all the Beach Boys records and here's <laughs> you know here's all the Radiohead records and here's just take all this stuff like walking out with like you know big big bags of free stuff and whining and dining and like you know have meeting all these kind of like you know some of some of these A&R guys are like they are depicted in movies they really are you know i don't I, it is what it is was there a lot of sleazy promises like hey we're going to get you this and we're going to do that and there was a little of that and we were kind of like in the you know we were kind of right at the end when they kind of stopped you know it was right when at the drive in was kind of really hitting that's when we got signed so we were wine and dine and got free hotel rooms we were on tour and talked to all sorts of different types of people and um, but you know, Bruce floor, um, you know, he, he gave the best sales pitch. He was really into some of the demos we were doing. So that seemed promising that he was in some of the new material they were doing, which is funny. He says he, I believe he said he signed us of the day trader demo, which is so bizarre. You know, he's <laughs> like, I heard, I heard day trader and I had to sign you, you know, and he worked with, you know, uh, the Foo Fighters and Dave Matthews band, but I think the, the, the Foo Fighters connection was what attracted us to him, you know, uh, the Dave Grohl connection. And, and it seemed like, oh, if we're going to do some cool stuff, I think we, uh, we could see ourselves in that Foo Fighters world or whatever, or that Lollapalooza world, um, which, we, um, you know, we, we got brought out to Los Angeles for like six months, lived in Santa Monica at this place called the Citrus Suites, which was, you know, it's like it's looking back a bunch of Methuen kids, you know, living in Santa Monica. It was wild, you know, and I, I look back upon it like I wish I took advantage more. You know, we did a lot of sitting in the room watching television, watching System of a Down videos that were on at the time, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting, though. Uh, this is like mafia story. So there, I remember walking, there was a building behind where we lived, the Citrus Suites, and there was a room on the, if you looked at this building, you look at the top right, there used to be this like uh, mannequin sticking out the window. And that's why it caught my eye. I'm like, oh, that's weird. There's a mannequin in this window of the top floor of this apartment building. And it would catch my eye. And it was one of those like punching bag mannequins. And I would see this a lot when we were lived out there. You know, fast forward, however many years later, that's the apartment they pulled Whitey Bulger out of. <laughs> no. And yeah, and they showed that, that dummy in the, the police photographs, like the department. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. I used to walk by it every day. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Um, but we lived out there for like six months, um, rehearsing at Cole Rehearsals, which the Cole Rehearsals, I don't know if it's still open, but the Cole Rehearsals, it's, if you look at the picture of that Rage Against the Machine record, the yellow cover, I forget the name of the, the record right now, but the yellow cover, the inside of that record, that's Cole Rehearsal Spaces. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, we would go there and rehearse every day and we, they, we would meet producers and talk to like different, again, uh, meet all these different types of music people. We met Ken Andrews for the first time from Failure, you know, talking. Yeah, to there's an incredible story I read where you were maybe trying to get him as a producer and he, he walks in the practice space and you just hit him with a cover of one of his own songs. Yeah, we played. And uh, you hoped he was going to sing it, but then he was just like, oh, you guys are really loud. Yeah, he blocked his ears and sat down. It was really awkward. Um, <laughs> but he was pumped, you know, he was cool, but we were, you know, looking back, we were just like so loud. He walks in without earplugs on and we just start blasting him. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It could be, it could be jarring. Yeah. It could be jarring, but, um, you know, he was cool. Um, we were psyched to meet him, but the people who work for us were not going to let us record with Ken Andrews. They, they were just like, Oh no, we want you to, they, 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 you know, I tell people this, if you're on a major label and you're being handed like 
huge sums of money, you're going to have people are going to have influence on your product, whether you admit it or not. Of course. Um, and that is just the truth, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we met Rich Costi, you know, just via, um, you know, we, we had so many different producers. We met uh, Rob Schnaff, who did the Elliott Smith records. We met um, the gentleman who recorded the Jimmy Eat World records, you know, all sorts of different types of people. But uh, we hit it off with Rich. You know, he went to college in Boston. So he, he got the landscape of where we were from. Um, he would, he had mixed a lot of cool things. He mixed audio slave and it seemed like he was mixing things at the time that were just sounded insane. He mixed the Mars Volta record, the first one, you know, at the time he just produced like the Dave Navarro solo record. So it seemed like a, it seemed like we were working with like an up and coming, you know, up and coming amazing mixer who was also could be like a, an amazing producer. But at the time it, his profile wasn't as huge as it is now. I mean, he's done muse. He's done all sorts of crazy things now. Uh, you know, so it, it seemed like, but he was really cool. We just hit it off with him, you know, and uh, he he had, as far as like sonically, the mixes he was doing were, were, I mean, off the charts. They sounded so good for that particular time. Um, so, you know, we, again, we got held up. We were put in these apartments, Oakwoods in Los Angeles, and we went to, oh God, I forget the name of the studio, but across the halls where they recorded Pet Sounds, which I, you know, was crazy to me. And it's funny, just going to that studio every day, you know, the, the the lore of this room just wears off after a while. It's just a room, you know, <laughs> but like, Oh, that's where pet sounds was recorded. And actually they, uh, they were filming a documentary when I was there on Brian Wilson and they definitely like roped off that half of the room. It was definitely a hallway, but they roped it off when he came in and I actually heard him play, um, in my room in a piano on a piano through a door. And that's, <laughs> I was like, the door was closed. So I hear, I could hear Brian Wilson playing in my room through the door. I was like, wow, what a trip. And they were, it was a, the room we recorded antenna was the room they recorded California dreaming the mamas and the papas. Um, it was a, you know, this crazy old Hollywood studio it looked like Frank Sinatra would have set up and recorded in this crazy room. You know, we, we wrote and rewrote and wrote and rewrote and demoed and redemoed songs for that record. Um, and some of that, some of the life was kids certainly sucked out of the, some of those songs just via that process. But I also think there's some amazing songs on this record that we play to this day. I mean, youth overrided will play for the rest of our lives. Um, Joy Opposites is a great song to play. Um, we haven't played Sea Frost, you know, since um, for 20 years, but that's a that's an amazing song. I mean, Caleb tears it up in that song. Yeah, Joy Opposites is like top three for me. I love that song, and it's another. It's a good example of uh, a song we wrote all together. That song was written out in Los Angeles during that period. So I, I like to th- I I tell those guys when we started playing it again in the past couple of years. I'm like, oh, I think about Los Angeles when we play this. <laughs> Uh, that must have been an incredible time. They're paying for you to live. You ju- you just have to get up and work on your major label debut every day in Lo- in Santa Monica. It sounds fantastic. It, it, well, yeah, it it was it was a trip. And you know, looking back, we were definitely kids with like not a lot of discipline. You know, we were kind of given the keys to the castle a little bit, just like not knowing we got what we got ourselves into. How old were you at the time? Oh, I think I was twenty one, twenty two. Oh, I, I would have been screwed. I would have been just on a mad tear and, and have gotten into a lot of trouble. Yeah, you know, sometimes there was. Um, but, you know, we looked out for each other, which was, you know, looking back, I'm glad we looked out for each other. You know, we all, every one of us got into trouble at certain times, which is what it is. Um, that's growing up being in a band. And like I said, being tossed into Los Angeles when you're like Massachusetts townie kids and just trying to find your way in the landscape of Los Angeles that's happening at that time. We, we were literally at like a party at Tom Morello's house on Mahala Drive. And like, we were just, you know, we, we, we stuck out like sore thumbs because we were like these little towny kids and all these like LA rockers were everywhere. Like it was Tom Morello. Um, I remember the DJ, uh, the guy who, uh, the DJ who's in corn. Um, he was in house of pain. I could be mixing that up, but it was just this crazy scene on Mahala Drive, you know? And I'm like, what am I doing here? 
And I Vince, uh, Vince Vaughn walked up to me and he's like, Hey, what's up? Cause you could tell we've like, we didn't really fit in. So he was trying to be nice <laughs> to us. He's like, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, Hey, how, how are you? Vince Vaughn. I'm like stars and bars. Cause it was the 4th of July. It was a 4th of July party. He's like stars and bars. You know, he like thought that was funny and I'll never forget that. Wow. Uh, making Vince Vaughn laugh, not seeing him on Kirby enthusiasm. Like I made that dude laugh once. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, unbelievable. But like I said, these weird trippy LA nights, you know, it's this crazy thing. Again, as being looking back, I wish I took advantage more. I wish I did more stuff. I wish I checked out more things, but we were pretty humble. You know, I remember going to Amoeba Records a lot, really to get really building my CD collection back then, buying all sorts of stuff, trying to get into all sorts of different types of music, um, which was such an, you know, it's funny buying CDs back then, having stacks and stacks of CDs in the room that we stayed in in Oakwoods. You know, meeting all sorts of different interesting music people, going all, going, seeing all sorts of like crazy shows in Los Angeles. I mean, I saw, I saw the Melvins, I saw the Strokes, I saw High on Fire, I saw, um, I saw a John Frusciante solo show. Um, I saw like just all sorts of just crazy shows. I saw System of a Down, I saw Ramstein out there. It, it just, just wild stuff. It was just a crazy period of our lives. And again, you, you, you don't realize until it's over. Like I should have really enjoyed that more. It was what a, what a trip. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I think inevitably you're going to think that about anything because, you know, from age, uh, let's see, 20 to 35, I just partied a lot. And now I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done, um, something. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such a wild period. I mean, also we opportunities to tour with the Foo Fighters and opportunities to tour with Muse, uh, played some shows with Perfect Circle. Um, those are crazy times, you know, especially some of those Foo Fighter shows. I mean, you know, what, what a trip and especially, you know, you know, meeting those guys, those guys are really good to us and it was really cool to be around, you know, that, you know, Dave Grohl was like a legit, you know, rock star, you know, and he was really nice to us. How did you go over at those types of shows? Uh, sometimes better than others, you know, um, I, I felt like when we did the, we played open in England, we did really well. Um, when we played the Southwest with them, that was, I believe we did Southwest. We did some East coast shows. It was with the transplants and I, we were, it was us transplants, Foo Fighters. And I felt like because we were so early, it was like hit or miss. You know what I mean? If, if we were, we were the main opener in England. So I think people paid attention more and people were more open to it, but because it was like a three band bill in the U S shows, I think it was like hit or miss. I think some people were up for it and some people were not with crowds that big. How do you tell if they're not into it? Can you hear them yelling, like get off the stage or something like that? Uh, you can just tell when it's, you can either feel it. <laughs> it's just a vibe. Yeah, yeah. The vibe you can tell people if we're engaged or not, or if it's just like, what is going on out there? But, you know, there's also sometimes you go on so early, there's no one in front of you at this like big arena. You know what I mean? It's just like wow. these empty seats. You know, people are just kind of trickling in when you start. But, you know, it was it was crazy. It was a crazy time. And, you know, especially like I said, now that Caleb's not with us, I look back on those times with so much like great memories. It was such a fun time. And what a what a crazy, you know, uh, we had no idea what we got ourselves into. We, we had no idea. I'm glad we all survived it, you know, and, uh, but it was, what, what a trip. <laughs> yeah. If you think about it, it's a pretty crazy trajectory for, for this band from Massachusetts to have done everything you've done. It is, you know, and a bunch of kids from Methuen. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it is wild. And, you know, i like I said, I feel lucky, but, um, you know, it's also uh, once, like I said, it was li- getting the lineup together was solid. We, when you all get a bunch of guys, when me, Caleb, Jaron, Steve, we all got on the same page and we all, Hey, have the same work ethic and we're all up for taking it as far as we could. You know, um, obviously we've um, kind of flamed out after the, especially after that major label years, I think spending such heavy critical growing years, you know, those critical years of growing up between 19 and 24, 
you know, we were doing the band so crazy and, you know, people's, you know, life goes on. And I think we had to do some growing up without each other. And um, that's kind of why it's kind of slowed down. You know, it was kind of off and on again. I think we were burnt out, but, um, you know, it was so, I'm so happy we didn't break the band up. I'm, t- I'm you know, we, we popped up and we went on hiatus or we came back, but I, you know, it's, it feels good right now. We have the ball rolling just as good as we did 20 years ago. You know, it doesn't feel like it's a band off hiatus or anything. It feels like we're a band that, you know, is rolling on all cylinders. So it feels good. Absolutely. You guys never officially broke up or anything, right? No, we didn't. Um, but like I said, people went off and did other things. I think, you know, Steve started Mutoy Man, you know, um, I did cloud, a band called Clouds. Jay, um, JR and Caleb started Families. JR did, do, did Doom Riders for a while. State, Caleb moved to Los Angeles. He did the Zozobra Records. You know, like I said, I think it's growth without each other. You know, I, 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 I was in touch with everybody when we weren't doing Caven, and you know, we would get together as Caven, not, not like, oh, we're Caven's getting. We would get together and go camping. We wouldn't talk about music at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we did so much early on, and it was like very critical years of growth where we were just stuck in a van together. And you, sure, being exposed to that, you grow and you, you get become worldly and you become street smart. But I also think you know being without each other and just, you know, kind of, it kind of sharpens you even more. You know what I mean? I think we all had some personal growth to do without, without not being in cave in, you know, and, and like I said, Caleb and Jared started beautiful families. You know, I, I, we did, Steve and I did different bands. Those guys did different bands and all the different bands we did, I think made cave in better, you know, doing all our different stuff, come back to cave in. I think cave better for it. Absolutely. How did you decide to start cycling heavier songs back into the set? What was going on with the label that you thought, okay, th- this isn't working out so much. Um, the guy who signed us left pretty much as soon as the record came out and um, Anchor had hit and we could tell right away that there was a complete loss of interest. And we did one more video, I believe, for Inspire. And, you know, I could tell we could just tell that nothing was happening. And then there was this illusion like, oh, you guys are relying on the label too much. You need to get out and play. And we were just kind of oh. kind of forced to do like dead end shows that didn't make any sense for the band, you know. We played a show with Ben Folds 5, which, you know, I'm not, uh, I have nothing against Ben Folds 5, but it really didn't make sense for Caven to be playing that show. You know, it was just like weird, like aimlessness of like throwing us against the wall to see where we would stick. Mm -hmm. You know, play this show and play these festivals and play this. And it just burned us out. And as far as like, I think it was an aversion to that of like, you know, let's go back to our roots a little bit and remember who we are. You know, it it was a few years of, uh, you know, hodgepodge Caven, you know, doing perfect pitch black and white silence is a lot of like, um, it can be, especially white silence might be a little schizophrenic. Um, but I feel like we've kind of carved it. I, I feel like we kind of got it under control, especially having Nate now in the band. I, you know, we kind of keep it within a lane of creativity that's much more easier to digest. And also our songs are better for it because I think we're just, like I said, trying to do the best of us. We're not trying to do too much, you know, trying not, not um, just trying to do the best we can, almost like the best of Caven on steroids at this point. You know, we know who we are and let's not let's not too get crazy from, you know, this, this highway, you know? <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I can hear it too. We are dead focused now. And the, the songs that have been released from Heavy Pendulum so far, I I love everything I hear and I can't wait to hear the rest of the record. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So let's recap. Let's Let's talk about what we've going on now. Number one, folks. Number one, Heavy Pendulum, May 20th, Relapse Records. We have to get it, right? And we have to purchase it. We've got merch bundles out there. We've got records out there. We've got to support the band, right? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the the cover for every, uh, the cover to Heavy Pendulum is beautiful. You know, we actually had the cover before we even recorded any music or had a song written. Uh, Richie. Where'd it come from? 
Uh, Richie Beckett um, sent it to us. We were supposed to play shows before the pandemic. We were supposed to do a string of shows at St. Vitus. And he's like, oh, I'm going to draw a poster for you guys for these St. Vitus shows. Yeah. And he sent it to us. He's like, this is what I'm working on. And we're like, dude, we're not going to, this is, we're not going to put this on a poster. We're, this is going to use this for our album cover, you know? And also being cave and we're all very different. Well, you know, I think that's why it works. We all have very different personalities and taste and that record cover, as far as agreeing upon that being a record cover, we all, all four of us agreed immediately and working on the record, looking at this album cover that we already had, we knew the music had to be as good as the art. So <laughs> it, I'm so proud of it. You know, I think he did an amazing job and uh, the insert, the, the, the pictures, the drawings. I mean, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. Wild and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I was just listening to the singles again recently and, and I was just staring at the record cover and I was like, that's so good. Yeah, it's in, uh, Richie kind of explained it. It's kind of like if Saturn, if you can find a body of water because of the Saturn's weight in the rings, it would actually float if there was a body of water big enough to let it float. Some sort of crazy science that I'm probably explaining very poorly. But I, some, Richie's explaining it somewhere on the internet, and I, um, I, I should get—I should actually familiarize myself with it because I'm sure I'm going to have to explain it again somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've got a tour coming off. It kicks off July 21st in Providence. Yes. Yep, we uh, got some tour. We're just announced some tours uh, for the midsummer. We're going to do some Europe in um, the fall. Um, I'm hopefully do some more West Coast stuff too because uh, there's nothing on the calendar for that yet. Um, but I'm ready. You know, we've done a lot. I've done a lot of talking about Caven right now, just doing press for this record. And I'm ready to get out there and play some shows. And we've been, I have practiced tonight, actually, after this podcast. Thank you for meeting up early with me today. I practiced tonight and playing, you know, playing the new songs is we could play every single song on this record live and uh, this new record live. And it feels awesome. It feels like, like I said, it, it feels like we're in a great place right now. And it, I, love, I love playing the new songs. Still love playing the old songs with, you know, playing Sing My Loves. We'll play Sing My Loves in Texas this weekend. Always fun to play. And uh, yeah. Excellent. So wh where is everybody nowadays? How do we coordinate practice? Um, you know, Nate's in Ipswich. Jared's in Salem, Mass. Steve's up in Haverhill now. Steve was in New York for 10 years, but he's back up in the Massachusetts and I'm in Cambridge, Mass. We practice in Charlestown, um, which is, um, we've been in that space for a little over a year. Um, it's a pretty cool old warehouse building right on like the ocean, right on like the Mystic River where the Mystic River Channel meets the Boston Harbor. Um, so you go, it, there's really nothing out there but to go out there and play music. And it's also the first practice space I've ever been in in my entire life. We have a window that we can open. You get that nice sea breeze, Boston, Boston Harbor air, you know, Boston <laughs> Harbor air, and uh, it could just blow in the window. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice place to create. I hope, you know, like everything in Boston, it's, it's a changing landscape at all times because of, you know, like every city, everything's becoming gentrified and the art spaces for art are being pushed out. And I have a feeling that our practice space may not be lasting very longer because I, I know it's under new ownership, but we'll see what happens. I'm hoping you guys get to hold on to it because we need more. We always need more from Caven. Yeah, I mean, I hope we can do it for as long as we can. And, you know, I, I think also as we get older, we're going to find different ways to do the band. You know, I mean, like even like a song like Reckoning with acoustic guitars and just kind of stripped down ideas. Just we're going to find all ways to do it. And um, it's, you know, exciting, exciting to have, exciting to be doing it this long and still be inspired to do new things, you know? Absolutely. And the, the thing I love most about Caven, you guys can do it all within Caven. You have acoustic songs, you have rock songs, you have some of the heaviest, moshiest songs out there. You can, you can do it all and you do it very well. Oh, well, thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've, I've, like I said, we, we've tried to find our wheelhouse and stick with it. Sometimes we've gone, we've gone a little too off the path, but I think we know who we are at this point, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's fun. Like I said, I, I'm really proud of the unique path we've carved out for ourselves. And 
sometimes when you're a weird band, uh, you know, it, t- it takes uh, takes some time for, you know, like, the bandwidth of Caven right now is crazy. I can't believe how many people are paying attention at this point in this band's career. But sometimes the weirder path ends you, you know, takes you in crazy directions, you know. And in addition to being defining for yourselves, you've I, you've been defining for so many others as well. I mean, I, I could count all the bands on two hands that you've inspired to to try different things. Do you see that? Do you notice that? Ah, uh, you know, I, I I don't know if I can't I I can't take credit for anything like that. I mean, you know, for us, we were like inspired by bands like you know. I mean, it's so easy to you just throw in the Beatles out there or just bands that just change their sound over time. I mean. Zeppelin got great. Zeppelin got more diverse and more acoustic over time. I mean, the Beatles completely changed from like a garage rock band to almost like an art rock band and the Stones, same thing, a garage rock band to like the, uh, like a blues white man's blues band. Um, you know, the kinks with beautiful songwriting, just, uh, turning into like another level. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about all old timey music, but I think we were inspired by those bands that kind of can change their sound and, just, and no one really think about it, you know, and that's who we were inspired by. I also, I think, um, it's funny, a very pivotal moment for Caven was seeing like Pink Floyd's Live at Pompeii when we were all like college age. We all first year, we all moved out of Methuen. We had a video of Live at Pompeii and seeing that was very kind of like, oh man, this is what we should be doing with our music. And you can like literally see the path of Jupiter come out of us all watching Live at Pompeii together. <laughs> Did you, yeah, because you weren't you guys doing Pink Floyd covers for a while? Um, we would, you know, no, we never did a Pink, we never did a Pink Floyd cover. We, we definitely would play, uh, we would we would play little riffs between songs. I think we played like another brick in the wall. We're like dun 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 dun. That little riff we would play that between songs. But we never played. Oh, you never covered a whole song. We covered Zeppelin song. We covered Days and Confused. Okay, I I don't know. My memory might be wrong, but I remember there was some Hellfest or something, and I thought you did like all classic rock covers or mostly. We probably played Days to Confuse. So okay, <laughs> my memory is like Haven was at Hellfest and they played a whole set of Pink Floyd covers. Um, so. You know, we I wish we did. Yeah, <laughs> that was I was awesome. like that would sound like something you would do. It would be that that would be great. Um, I I don't think I I don't think Haven's ever covered Pink Floyd. We actually covered a Fleetwood Mac song um recently that's hasn't we have no place for. But we covered a Fleetwood Mac song during the pandemic. They came out great. Nice. Um, we t- we talk about uh, we're, we're trying to figure out a cover to do for this next tour. We should do something. But um, yeah, no, no Pink Floyd covers. I would love to do a Pink Floyd cover. I would love that. So uh, is there any other project or anything you have coming up that we didn't cover that you uh, that you want to cover in the end? No, nope, I only got caving going on these days, which is you know good for me because uh, I, I I like my prime focus being on that. I, I like my role in that band of playing guitar and singing only once in a while. I don't like fronting a band. <laughs> Um, it's perfect for me. And also because I've been doing it half my life now, it's like, it's very comfortable. So, uh, you know, as far as other projects, I mean, I, I needle, I I noodle around at home doing solo and playing solo songs and, but I don't think I want to pursue a solo career or anything like that. It's fun to play solo shows every once in a while as an exercise, but I don't think I'll ever pursue that as a career, you know? (laughs) Well, Adam, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, I, I've been listening to you for decades and you were, you're pretty much the band that got me into heavy music and hardcore. Because when I first listened to hardcore, I was like, ah, it's too much screaming. I can't do it. And my friend had a program behind the Caven yep. song on a yep. cassette tape. And it has that singing part at the end. And I was like, Hmm, maybe I could get into this. 
Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because at the time it's just like that's that's us liking loving Sunny Day Real Estate. Like we need to get a Sunny Day Real Estate part in this song somehow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, I think that's awesome that you got into music via us. You know, that's uh, that that makes me feel great because I mean, I there's so much music that means so much to me that did the same for me, and I'm happy that you do that for other people because I, you know, when you do a band. And it's such a part of your life, you know. You know, you don't think of the effect at all. It's it, to me, it's just like what, what, I, I'm just focused upon what we're going to do next. But especially as time goes goes on, I've 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 been able to reflect more, and it's uh, especially you know with Caleb. Um, so looking back and reflecting more, you know, it, it means a lot to me. So thank you very much. You know, I'm happy that we, I'm happy that you liked our music, and thank you for supporting us as well. There you have it, folks. Adam McGrath. That was an incredible conversation. I have been dying to talk to someone from Caven since I've been doing this show. I got to ask all the questions I wanted to ask. It was amazing to hear about the band's history. I was always curious about how they made the decision to change their sound and everything that followed after that. I was always really curious about recording Antenna and their major label experience. We got to hear about all of that. And Josh, the whole Kendama thing, I looked up some Kendama YouTube videos, like expert Kendama players, and it is crazy. I love it. Well, I love that it's like something that he's done that like is is simple and self-contained and helps him move and helps him get like in, in connection with himself. I just, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of stuff like that. I was glad to hear that he's like, got into yoga during the pandemic and then like has something else that just like keeps him mobile and active. I think that's so important as we age. A hundred percent. When I was talking to Adam and he was talking about Kendama and how it helped him and everything else he's doing it, it really reminded me of talking to you, Josh, the first time on this show and the whole foundation training story that you shared. I know I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like, Oh, Adam, you should try foundation training. But then I was like, oh, I'm not in the interview. I can't really like chime in right here. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to uh, conference you guys in together later. That'll be some bonus content on our Patreon that doesn't exist. Oh, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, we got to get on a Zoom call so we can see each other. But yeah, no, I love that uh, that he's got that going on. And I just loved how like earnest uh he sounded to me anyway just like really excited to answer the questions and tell the story um that just really came across that like i was smiling while i was listening to it yeah same thing here while while doing the interview i'm like so in the zone i can't even think but when i sit down and edit it that's when i can really hear what's going on and the whole process moved super fast it was just a real pleasure to talk to adam and cave is such an important band to me. I like I told Adam in the interview, they really helped sell me on this music as a whole cuz I used to hang out with uh, Mike Shaw from this day forward and various people and I would hear a lot of the music and I'd be like, "Eh, I don't know, it's like too much screaming." And then one day I was in Mike's car and he had a cassette tape on with program behind and you know, like I was telling Adam, I heard that the the heavy mixed with the uh, melodic and I was like, "Hey, I might be able to get into this music. Yeah, dude. I just remember like even going before, cause I feel like you would, you, you guys talked, talked about like until your heart stops, but man, uh, Crossbearer, like 
that song, man, the riffs in that song, like the melodies in that song. I, I freaking loved that thing. Like they had me, they had me even before until your heart stops. And then until your heart stops hit. And it was just like, holy shit, like next level. What a good band. Yeah. Beyond hypothermia as a whole. Unbelievable. That, that whole beginning of flypaper, that really melodic metal intro. I almost can be moved to tears just listening to that at any time. Is that the one where it, where it goes like, this is the way. No program behind is this is the way. Oh, that's and then flypaper. You know this one? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah dude. Unbelievable. Oh, Unbelievable. I love There's it. There's just, they have the depth of their catalog and the amount of good songs is crazy. Like, I was editing the episode and I would just stop to listen to some of their songs. I would listen to something from Jupiter. I would listen to something from Until Your Heart Stops. And folks, if you haven't heard the B-side Inflatable Dream, they I saw them in 2019 and they closed with that song unbelievably good great song was that were they it was it at saint vitus that they did that no this was earlier than those run of shows it was at a gramercy theater i think okay man i didn't know that they played that song live i love that freaking song and i've only ever heard it on youtube which and it's it sounds like it was just a demo and i i even like wonder like where did that fit in was that like post until your heart stops and then right before like creative eclipses it was during the creative eclipses era as i can't believe that song didn't make that ep i was just i thought that same exact thing when i was listening to the band again today yeah not not that i don't love luminance and everything on there but like yeah i don't know i guess they were in that transition i mean he talked about it like they were in that transition phase and um I love that they still play Luminance as well. Like that seems like like a deep cut for like real fans. That's a top three song. That's one of my favorite songs of any band. That like that song is just unbelievably good. That the drums in the beginning and the guitar and just oh my goodness. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I love them. Well, thank you again, Adam. Great conversation. Much appreciated. So, Josh, let's check in. How are we doing? How are we doing? We haven't spoken in a minute. Lay it on me. What's going down? I know it's been it's been a little while. I'm still up to the same usual things, you know, playing, uh, doing Hope's Fall band practice uh, a couple times a month. We just played a show uh, with Stretch Armstrong and Advent uh, down in Columbia, and that was really fun. It went really well. It was good to see those guys, and uh, it felt like old times. Just a bunch of Carolina bands. And uh, the crowd was great. So thanks to whoever's listening to this that was at that show. Appreciate it. It was awesome. We had a blast. But beyond that, man, I'm still just doing foundation training here in Charlotte and trying to spread the word about that stuff. What about you? How is that going? Uh, It's fun. It's It's daunting. I actually had the head coach of the whole organization and the doctor that created the protocol they stayed at my house and did two workshops here in Charlotte, two sold out workshops. And uh, I got to be on like a podcast with the doctor and then a physiatrist from Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine, which is the same uh, organization that like had to give me a spinal surgery. And uh, now I'm teaching one of their doctors how to get out of back pain, which is pretty great. That's amazing. Yeah. Do we want to mention the podcast? Oh, yeah. So it's called Back Talk Doc. And uh, with Sanjeev Lakia, and he's a physiatrist that interviews like thought leaders and specialists 
um, all over the country and the world that work on people with back pain. And somehow I ended up on his podcast with the guy that created foundation training. So I was honored to be on that. That's awesome. Yeah. Go check it out. Back talk doc. Yeah. Josh Brigham has been on the episode. If you want to hear more, Josh, you have to, you have to go check it out. And, uh, let's see for me, nothing new really is going on. Uh, I'm working on the podcast full time. I'm working my day job full time. I'm just busy with stuff all the time, but I love that. That that's what I want to be doing. Yeah. You know, busy is better than bored a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I always think about like, you know, last weekend I celebrated another year clean, uh, from drugs and alcohol. So that's good. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And I'm grateful because I always think about early recovery. I didn't have shit to do. I didn't really know anybody. I had to stop hanging out with my friends. I basically had to build an entire life. So there wasn't a ton to do. And now there is endless stuff to do. And I'm busy all the time and I'm always creating stuff. So I'm always extra happy about that. Dude, I'm thrilled uh, just to know that story and your background and like how you've been able to come out of that and just rewrite your life and just like start over. At a later age, I mean, man, that's intimidating as hell to be like, I'm going to pick up and restart my life at almost 40 years old. Yeah, it's never too late, folks. It's never too late. Oh, and I'm starting a new band. So I hope that goes somewhere. I just bought a bunch of new pedals and redid my pedal board. It's very exciting. Oh, what did you buy? I bought a Line 6 DL, uh, the big green one yep. that uh, Dave from Botch uses. Yep. Yes, I bought an Electro Harmonics Memory Man. Oh, and I bought a vocal effects pedal, which I'll be using for vocal stuff. Dude, have you figured out how to use the Memory Man? Because I bought one of those and I had like the hardest time getting that thing, like dialing it in and getting it to work that I ended up just selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing that scares me. No, I, I've, I, the last week and a half, I've been trying to buy the right size patch cables that I need to put all this together. So I haven't even plugged everything in yet. Oh, okay. Well, you'll have to let me know how it goes. I bought a, a new pedal recently at Earthquaker Devices um, Avalanche Run, which is, it's like a reverb delay, but it gives the most lush, like just spacey background vibe. Um, I couldn't recommend it any higher. And it's easy to use. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who is skilled who uses the memory man, so I'm going to lean on him to help me. Yeah, get him to come over and give you the tutorial. I needed that friend. Yeah, he was showing me how to... It's our bass player. He was showing me how to use the uh, the DL2, and so I'm, I'm just going to use his expertise. But uh, So speaking of bands, Josh, what's going on with Hope's Fall? Now, I did see that gig that you played down in South Carolina with Stretch Armstrong. I saw people posting about it. That looked like a lot of fun, but but what's coming up? So we are going to be playing in New York, actually, in July, uh, July 30th. And I'm not even sure the name of the festival. Um, we confirmed for it. But yeah, we're it's uh, it's in some some it's in like the middle of the state. Like, is there a place called Horsehead? I don't even know. I, or horse something. Horse something is in the name. But anyway, uh, a festival up there. So we're going to be playing July 30th in New York and we're going to do a satellite years playthrough. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Excited to dust that one back out in its entirety and, and, and put it all back together. Have you ever played that whole album before? We've never done a playthrough of it from start to finish. No. 
Is there like is there songs on that record that you've never played live? Yes, there are. Redshift, like, and it's an instrumental one. Um, yeah, we've never played that live. Like, we wrote that like right before we went to the studio. So we got to figure out how to spice it up and make it li- presentable live. That's going to be some show. Yeah, should be fun. Awesome. Well, I look forward to that announcement and more. Well, I guess this is a- announcing it right now, even though I forgot the name of the festival. I'm sure it will be posted on the Hopes Fall Instagram and other social media accounts. So we're just going to have to keep an eye out for we'll it. We'll get it out there. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's it for this episode. We're doing great, and we hope you're doing great as well. So check back in with us next week. Brand new episode, brand new guests. We're here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, no matter what. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Yeah!